Welcome to the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast, brought to you by APT Capital Group, where Kyle and Lolita talk to top experts and seasoned passive investors in the business to help provide clarity and key insights to keep you safe on your journey to financial freedom. Our goal is to help you get educated on how to create passive income for you and your family using real estate as your vehicle. If you enjoy the show, please go to iTunes and leave a rating and written review to help us grow and reach more listeners. Now, here are your hosts, Kyle and Lolita. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast. I'm your co-host, Lolita, also joined by Kyle. Before we get started, please make sure to head over to our website, aptcapitalgroup.com, and grab our free Passive Investor's Guide. And if you're interested in learning more about what we do, you can schedule a call with Kyle on our website as well. All right, now let's get into our show. On today's show, we have Sam Bates joining us. Welcome, Sam. How's it going? It's going great. Thank you, Lolita and Kyle, for having me. I look forward to sharing some knowledge with your audience. Great. Well, before we head into the interview, here's a little bit about Sam. Sam is the CEO and managing partner of Bates Capital Group and a partner and co-founder of Trinity Capital Group. Sam started his real estate career as a limited partner in a 208-unit value-add apartment syndication in Dallas. The syndication underperformed, which led to Sam taking matters into his own hands and not rely on other people when it comes to your own financial future. Over the last five years, Sam has been involved with 12 commercial projects with a focus on multifamily acquisitions and developments. In addition, Sam has been directly involved in the acquisition, rehabilitation, disposition, and management of over $100 million in real estate since 2009. So great stuff. We have so much to tackle and cover in today's interview. So Sam, let's get started. And can you tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself and what you currently do? I graduated in undergrad with a finance degree, and then I got my master's in personal financial planning and an MBA, and I'd always been in business or business consulting. And I knew I always wanted to be in real estate and back in 09, got involved in real estate and just the way my career path has went. I'm now basically just working on multifamily, but we've done some land developments, RV park, a retail strip center. So we'll look at different things that we feel like is a strong return for our investors, but we focus mainly on multifamily. Awesome. And you know, one part of your bio kind of really caught me there is that you stopped investing passively and took it into your own hands because of a a deal that went bad. Can you talk a little bit more about that? It was my first investment in real estate. And I joined a mentor program in in Dallas. And at that time, syndication wasn't the buzzword that it was. And we didn't have podcasts and we didn't have social media. So I don't think a lot of people knew what syndication was. But within that group, they started doing syndications and I felt like I was investing with a guy who'd been in the business for 20 plus years. And we were buying in Dallas in a pocket that around it, it's a great neighborhood, but in the actual pocket and the streets that it was on turned out to be a really bad neighborhood. <laughs> and he tried to self-manage for a while. Then he replaced himself with a third party. That third party couldn't turn around the management. So we had to get rid of the GP and that third party manager. And we brought in another third party manager. And luckily, they were able to help turn it around. And we did decently from overall return perspective. But when we bought it for like 17,000 a door, and now it's selling that same submarket for 130 or so, <laughs> we should have done significantly better than it turned out to be. 
Right. What's the process of getting a GP out and replacing them? It kind of depends on the PPM. Luckily, if we had super majority, we could kick him out. And everybody in the group except him wanted him to be removed. So it was pretty easy to get the super majority to remove him. But I think it depends on how each PPM or operating agreement is written on if they can be removed or if they can't be. Yeah, no, I think that's great. And, you know, passive investors should know that. And just because a deal's not going perfect doesn't mean or give you the reason to remove a GP. But if it's really going bad, you should at least know your options on what types of routes you can take. And so, you know, obviously by removing that GP, it ended up being a good move and, and you ended up making at least a little money on it. What were some of the other areas that were improved on once you put the right GP in place? I can take a step back. We didn't make the decision hastily. Like, over that first two years that he was operating it, we had multiple gang shootings. We had a property manager stealing from us. There's some insurance collection issues. So, and we were in the red the entire two years. And then once we replaced the GP, the new management company had a better grasp on the tenant base and they were able to, I don't know if I should say control the tenant base better, but they were able to at least work with the tenant base. And we were able to start collecting money. A lot of it, honestly, was the market was rising at that point. We sold it in 2013. So from over those three years, the market just went up. And then we did a value add where we're putting in four to 5000 per unit. So we were being able to get higher rents. And we were just able to sell it at the right time. And at that time, we had bridge debt on it. And... He was the only person who could sign on the note since he signed on the first note. And if we would have been able to have other people sign on the note, we could have kept it as a limited partner or a passive investment. I think we would have done even significantly better. But it was just the timing for that investment was done and we just needed to move on to the next one. And so do you think that that was a result, the, the whole project, a result of investing with the wrong person or maybe just in the wrong area or the wrong timing? I mean, I'm kind of hearing all three there. I think it was the wrong area and possibly timing like he's still in the business and i've heard he's done really great for other investors it just seemed like that project and another project he had at that time didn't turn out or didn't pan out but after that timeline i think the last seven years i think he's done really well for his investors so okay so at that point, you know, you experienced a deal that obviously had its ups and downs. You decided to leave. Tell us more about that and kind of what your focus is on. I guess simultaneously from 10 to 13 or 14, I started buying single family and I bought close to 20 single family homes and I've done the fix and flip, buy and hold. I did a spec development, just almost everything across the gamut. And after seeing how much time, energy, and effort went into it, I realized it wasn't scalable and it'd be hard to bring investors. So I started looking at multifamily and small multifamily. And I met one of my partners who I actually used to work with at a consulting firm. And he was in the same boat and we decided to partner up. And on our first deal, we brought in a third partner who had 20 years of development experience. And we did a 60 unit. Well, it was basically mixed uses, 60 unit mixed use, with 10,000 square feet of retail space. Nice. Wow. Can you talk a little bit more about that one and why you decided to jump into that versus kind of a traditional multifamily? Yeah, kind of was out of necessity and kind of also fell into our lap. In 14 through mid-15, we were looking at just acquiring multifamily and we got beat out multiple times. 
Some of it, our underwriting was too conservative. We had never raised money. We had never run a multifamily deal. So I think we we're underwriting way too conservatively. But at that time, people were saying the market was going to correct in 16 or 17. There was a few times we were actually told by brokers we had the best price, but we didn't have a track record. So nobody trusted us that we could close. And my partner, he was in his 20s. I was in, I think, early 30s or late 20s. So we started talking to the third guy and he had some land, but he didn't know exactly what he was going to do with it. And we're like, well, we can raise money for you if you can build an apartment. And he said, I can do that. And it just went from there. Okay. And how'd that deal turn out? It's turned out great. We sold the commercial part of it after 16 months and was able to return a 41% IRR to the investors. And we were planning on keeping it long-term, but our sales price at year seven projections. So it was hard to turn that down. And then from the apartment side, we did a refinance after it stabilized, pulled out like 90%, I think, of the initial investment. And now we're cash flowing, depending on the year, but 10 to 12% since then. So it's been a great investment. And I would love that every investment was like that. Right. Yep. <laughs> We've had a couple like that as well. A couple of minutes ago, you mentioned that, you know, everyone was telling you that in 1516 that they thought the market was going to correct. And so maybe that was a reason for your conservative underwriting. I think people still say that even now. And, and that's probably something you're always going to have to face, right? You're not sure where the market is. I mean, we know we're in the latter half of that for sure in the cycle, but how do you get over that? How do you understand how aggressive to be or how conservative to be in your underwriting based on where the market's at or what people are telling you? Yeah, that's the million dollar question. And it is hard because you always want to write conservatively. But in this time frame, if you write too conservatively, you're never going to get a deal. But from 14 to now, I have significantly more experience than I did back then. I understand back then we we're doing more rule of thumbs than actual figuring out what the expenses and revenue might be. Everybody's saying that we're in the latter innings, but I do think there's still a lot of room and growth to happen for a multitude of reasons. But I mean, the NAA claims that there's 4.2 million units shortage by 2030 of apartments. So everybody needs a place to live. The Fed's already come out and saying interest rates are going to stay low at least till 23. And with the stimulus and the amount that they're pumping out, I assume it's going to be significantly longer than just 2023 for interest rates to stay low. Then with COVID, you have all the dry powder from different asset classes moving to multifamily because it has been so resilient over the last decade or, or so that I think pricing is just going to stay high. And with the Fed pumping all the money, inflation has either started or going to start. I mean, I've heard some people say inflation's already hit in about 20% this year. So... Real estate is a great hedge against inflation as prices rise, rents are going to rise, and that just increases pricing. Yeah, I certainly think inflation's already started. I mean, you're seeing it kind of everywhere. So I absolutely agree with that. And then also the other thing is, you know, real estate's local, right? So one market's going to react a little bit differently than another. So it's really important to know what your market's doing and the fundamentals behind that, because you could be at the latter half, but there could be several years or, or even longer, depending on how your certain market is set up. Yeah, I agree. Real estate's definitely local and 
we invest in several markets and they've all done a little differently in COVID. Some have done better than we expected and some have done worse than we've expected. And like our most recent build, it's very high household incomes and it's honestly done the worst in COVID, which was really shocking. What's one obstacle that you face in your journey so far as an investor and, and how did you overcome it? I think the biggest obstacle I had to overcome was just my mindset and maybe even self-confidence. Both my parents were teachers and my dad was also a farmer. And so I didn't even really know what real estate was, <laughs> or at least the syndication piece. And I'd always been business-minded, but I didn't have the mindset to go out and raise money. I always felt like sales and people in sales were scumbags. So just switching the mindset to understanding this actual opportunity. And I'm investing in every deal I raise funds for. And it would be unfair to me if I had this opportunity and not giving my friends, family, business acquaintances, or anybody that I know the opportunity not to invest in it. So I think that was a big piece. And also just over the last five years, I've read 150, 200 books and knowledge is power. A lot of it's not real estate, but a lot of it's around self-development, business in general, all these life skills I can add on to the real estate piece that has just made me who I am today. Yep. So I believe you've invested in both acquisitions on existing buildings and also developments. Can you speak into both of these investment strategies? Yeah, both are good. I think it depends, especially from a limited partner perspective, it depends on what your needs and if you need capital almost or a return almost immediately, or if you can wait, at least from all the investments we've done, the developments have a better return. But there's more risk to it. It's going to take longer to get the cash flow. So if you're an investor that wants to play for the long term and the long game, it might be better to invest in a development. But if you need the cash flow almost like a bond or yearly dividend, it might be good to invest in an acquisition to get it from, I don't know, two, three quarters in, depending on how quickly the sponsor is going to start doing distributions. And then with an asset, you know what you're buying or an acquisition, you know what you're buying with a development. We do third-party research reports and get an idea of the demand and the supply. And we'll look into a lot of different characteristics. But I mean, on one of our last acquisitions, we had to put a new road in that was literally six feet that the city initially said they were going to pay for and went back on their word and it was an additional 600000 So there's a lot of variables that you can't account for sometimes in acquisition. So if your risk profile is on the lower end of the spectrum, I'd probably say an acquisition is a a better option. Okay. And do you prefer one over the other for yourself? I personally like developments. They just take a really long time. We're working on one development that we literally started back in 17. Oh, wow. There's a lot of planning that goes into it working with the city, working with the different ETJs or other jurisdictions. You just don't know where the acquisition is really quick. But I feel like there's a lot more creativity that can be brought into the development and you can design it exactly how you want. Plus, with costs where they are now, you can almost get a new development for what you're buying, at least in Dallas area, for a 80s or 90 product, maybe even 70s in some areas. Mm-hmm. Why has it taken four years on that development, just out of curiosity? A lot of reasons. We had to start talking to the landowner, and that took a while. And then we went down the HUD route, which was about 10 to 12 months. And we realized the HUD loan wasn't the best for that 
asset. So then we went down the regular conventional construction financing route. So once we got the loan approved, then we started raising funds from investors. We didn't get investors funds in until 19 and we're about to open. And the construction took two to two and a half years, but it was just the pre-work working with the plan and zoning committees of the city, engineers of the city, architects, just a lot of moving pieces that took a while. Yep. What can you do to kind of reduce your downside risk as far as developments are concerned since they do take so long? I think there's a lot of ways. I mean, you can buy land that is already zoned for multifamily. On this one, we bought land that was, we had to go through the zoning process. So that took the bulk of the um, time timeline. But um, we have a fixed contract with the developer. So if he is under budget, he gets more than his um, initial share. And if he's over budget, then he eats the cost. And I think that's helped our investors significantly because, I mean, lumbers went up 300%. And luckily, we already had the lumber already purchased. And that's what another thing we've done to possibly hedge your bets is we bought a lot of the materials as soon as we close the loan, as soon as we raise the funds. And we have a warehouse where we can store the materials. So it's really easy to just store them and keep them there to make sure inflation isn't happening or pricing isn't skyrocketing on a certain material. Yep. Makes sense. What do you ultimately attribute to your success? That's a good question. I think there's several things. I think the internal fortitude just to continue to persevere and work and put in all the hours that's needed to be successful. All the work finally has a compound effect and you don't see big gains on a daily basis, but over time and over years, you see it. And also I've always, outside of my single family, all the real estate I've ever invested in was with partnerships. And I think it's vital to align yourself with great partners, partners that have your same mindset, your same, obviously you want complementary skill sets, but they have your same, just being able to work together and kind of the same work ethic you do. Yep. Makes sense. All right. Lolita is going to take us into our final four questions. Are you ready? Yes, I am. Choosing the right insurance coverage for multifamily properties isn't that complicated, if you know who to talk to. At the Garzella Group, we're uniquely qualified to help you navigate the range of policy choices you have, and we're committed to saving you 30% in the process. We do intensive market research and have nationwide relationships, so we can find coverage other insurance brokers simply can't. We should talk. Go to quotenow.biz, and we'll start the conversation. Right, Sam, here we go. What is the one tool you use in real estate investing that you cannot do without? Right now it's Excel. <laughs> I feel like I spend probably 50% of my time in Excel. Perfect. Can you tell us a story about maybe one of your biggest mistakes in real estate investing and what's the main takeaway for our listeners? The biggest mistake has honestly been as a passive investor, I didn't vet the sponsors enough. And I think I shared a story about the 208 unit and then Another limited passive investment that I did was in a hotel. And I knew the CEO of the hotel and the company had already taken one hotel public. And I just kind of listened to exactly what they said. And it turned out it wasn't 
a great investment. Is I, I can't get into too much of the details, but it was essentially a Ponzi scheme, and now we're having to be repaid back from going into litigation. What is it that you need to do now to grow your life to the next level? I think it's to just continue expanding my network. It's very true. Your network is your net worth. And the more people you know, the more of an impact you can make towards them and make their lives better and just trying to grow that out. Perfect. And finally, where can people find out more about you? Yes, you can go to my website, batescapitalgroup.com, or you can call me at 972-855-7654. Awesome. Well, Sam, thanks for sharing your journey and expertise with us. And thanks for being on our show. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Sam. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please go to iTunes and leave a rating and written review to help us grow and reach more listeners. You can also go to the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate group on Facebook so you can connect with Kyle and Lolita and ask your questions that you want them to answer on the show. Subscribe too so that you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, to stay updated, head on over to aptcapitalgroup.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with Kyle and Lolita, sign up on the Contact Us page so you can talk to them directly. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode.